Hello, welcome to Persuade You, the podcast where I, Stephen, recommend to you, the listener, stuff and things that I think are worth your time in checking out. This week, we are going to be basically talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. So for uh, the next, ooh, I don't know, 20-ish minutes, you're going to get to listen to me gush about one of the greatest TV shows to ever grace the screen. So before we get started on that... Uh, Just know that's what we're going to be getting into. Uh, Before all of this, I was a guest on the show Fan Dummies, which is a comic book show, movies, TV shows, stuff like that, where Greg, Aaron, and Jessica all sit down and they talk about various things each and every week. With that, I got to be a guest on where we went over Avatar The Last Airbender. Now, unfortunately, there was something wrong with the audio at the time. Uh, It may have been on my end. I don't remember, but... So if you'll forgive me for the audio on that side, uh, I still loved the conversation. It was a lot of fun and we went way more in depth than I will ever go on this show. But if you want some backstory or things that I've said before, go check that out because it's a lot of fun and it's also a really great show. Greg wasn't there at the time. I think he was out doing some business stuff. So I got to fill in for an episode and it was a lot of fun. So there's that, of course. As usual, links will all be down in the show notes. So if you want to go check that out before coming back here, seeing how maybe ideas have changed or there was something that I didn't touch on there, I probably will here. So that's that. And let's get started. Okay, so Avatar The Last Emperor. No, we're not talking about the blue people. And no, we will never, ever, ever talk about the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Now, were there some elements in that movie that were cool? Yeah, there were some very, very small cool elements in that movie. Ha, ah, elements. It's a joke. Why is that a joke? Basically, the Avatar is the master of all four elements, unlike Captain Planet, where there's, you know, the fifth, which is heart. Uh, Here, it's just earth, wind, fire, water, basically. You just keep all that in mind, you're good to go. And so, elements, there you go. That's what they call them. Now, is air an element? Technically, no. Or earth? Also not an element. But here in the Avatar world, if you basically just think of one guy that's able to control all the elements, and then all the different other nations are able to, well, some of them have the ability to bend that element. No, it doesn't matter what kind of air it is or what kind of water it is, whether it's rainfall or iceberg All of it is perfectly bendable. Earth gets very tricky because in The Legend of Korra, which is the sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender, they introduced something called lava bending, which really borders on the fire bending earth scale. So how much of that is fire, we will never know. But it's very, very, very close. In Avatar, the basic premise is that this boy, and of course, what I... um, I know, tons of tangents, but what I love about this show is that it gives you the synopsis at the very beginning and then just throws you in. It doesn't expect you to know all the backstory. It doesn't expect you to know all the characters. It's just like, hey, this is the world. This is the plot. Let's go. Unfortunately, if you, uh, a lot of movies 
that come from TV shows or whatnot spend so much time trying to fill you in on what happened before all of this when they can just show you or tell you in this very bite-sized chunk. And that's what I, one of the best things about this is that they tell you exactly what happened. There's a boy and he dis like the avatar, he just disappeared a hundred years ago. And then the fire nation just went all Hitler and just start, started to invade the rest of the world and just started wiping people out. Now, the reason they did this is because when the avatar is reborn, so think reincarnation, this cycle it goes from one element to the next to the next to the next. And so it went from the fire, which was a previous avatar. It went from the fire nation and he would be reborn in the air nation, the air nomads, which again, tons of backstory that we won't get into here. So what the fire nation decided to do when they, you know, were going to invade the rest of the world is first they were going to start with the air nation and they were just going to wipe them all off the face of the earth, assuming that if they killed the the avatar before he had been reborn that they could break the cycle and then no one would be able to stop them right seems like it would make a lot of sense however comma that's not what happened you know otherwise we wouldn't have a tv show but the avatar was already born and he was 12 I think he was, and then he just disappeared. And you learn as the show progresses pretty quickly what happened to him, where he went, and how he was able to basically hide out from the entire invasion, and nobody knows who he is or where he is because all of his people are now dead, and they couldn't tell anybody. And so you have this, this really cool plot, but it gets even better because then we have our main antagonist, who is the Prince of the Fire Nation. And he was banished by his father, who, oh, man, how they got so many great characters to be voiced by such prominent actors and actresses is beyond me. Mae Whitman, who comes in to voice Katara, and she does a phenomenal job. If we go just by her alone, she goes from being like this novice, shy uh, waterbender to just a complete and utter boss by by the end of season three. And we, we see this great character development, but also you can hear it in the voices of the actors and actresses that portray the characters in the TV show, the main antagonist throughout all of this is Prince Zuko, and he is voiced by the one and only Dante Bosco. Now, I've linked this show before when I talked about The Talk uh, version 2.0. In that episode, you can find the exact same show that will be linked below, where he goes on a podcast called Talking Tunes, and he talks about you know coming into this role and getting into voice acting and acting in general and how hard it was for him as an Asian to do this. Uh, when he was in Hook, which is one of the roles that many, many people recognize him for as Rufio. Now, in that, he was only 14 or 15, I believe. And to be able to act alongside, you know, one of the greatest people of ever in Robin Williams to go into voice acting it's very different uh the community is very different from what he says because when you when you go into act it's just you like it's your face and all of you know this you know motioning to you know your body it's it's all of you and so if a producer or a screenwriter or uh, the directors you know that the people that hire you for a specific role if they don't think that you physically fit that role especially if it's like a book adaptation and the character is 
portrayed as, uh, you know, a different race or uh, a female or a male or whatever, and it doesn't fit you, it becomes very hard for you to take that constructively because it's basically, hey, I don't like the way you look. You can't be in this role. Whereas voice acting, it's just your voice. So if you can do different voices, different inflections, work on uh, accents and so many different things, you can take that, make it constructive, and you can grow as a voice actor in many ways better than you can as, you know, a regular actor, you know, uh, physically, I guess. And so he said that getting into voice acting, the community was just way more positive. And he went from uh, American Dragon Jake Long to Avatar, or it was the other way around, but he talks about how great it was, and now he's a producer and a director, and he was on a, a, sl- a song <laughs> with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, oh man, if you've heard me talk about him, I could gush about him forever. So he's in Hamilton, he's in the new Golden Compass TV show, which is called His Dark Materials, so if you ever listened to that book uh, or saw The Abomination. That was the movie. The TV show is fantastic. He wrote almost all the songs for Moana. I mean, his IMDb page is like three or 400 credits. Just if you want, just go look at that. But he is a fantastic voice actor and he does a bunch in this show. But what you can hear is that he makes this character so believable. It also comes back to the writers. The writers have done incredible work to have full character development for each and every character throughout the three seasons. Instead of, you know, like a Game of Thrones last six episode season where you have to make the main female empowerment model go bananas and then just end it really quickly and, you know, rush everything. The writers of Avatar didn't do that. They took their time, they paced everything out, and all the changes and the events that occur are paced out to where it's not exhausting and it doesn't take reading multiple novels and then waiting on whatever this next one is going to be by the author in order to understand what's going on. You can watch this as a kid or as an adult, it doesn't matter, and you will understand everything that's going on at the same pace. Now, are there jokes and uh, little nuances and things that you pick up more as an adult than a kid? Uh, Yeah, that's what makes it watching later in life much more fun than it was as a kid. There are a lot of dark things in this universe, in this world that they didn't shy away from. Spoilers are coming, so if you need any more convincing, I will link the fan dummies thing below, as I've already said, and you can go check that out. Again, we will probably say spoilers. I can't remember, but uh, just be warned. Now, for those of you that stayed and just want to hear more gushing about one of the greatest shows ever, another thing that I loved is that is is the darker elements that they weren't afraid to shy away from, from bloodbending, which is being able to bend the water in somebody's veins. Now, that may sound familiar to some of you. Now, where, where have we seen a similar type-ish power come before? That's X-Men 3, where we see Magneto after his... Uh, accomplice basically feeds a security guard tons of iron, Magneto is able to pull that iron out of a dude's blood, kill him, and then use that iron and flatten them into little discs. And he basically escapes from this entire plastic and rubber prison that they've put him in so he can't bend any metal. Basically, that idea happened in Avatar, except with bloodbending. When they delve into the backstory of this woman, she was locked away by the Fire Nation, wasn't given any water except 
the stuff she needed to survive. So it was like a cup and they fed her like dry food, but there were rats that would scurry around the prison hold. What she ended up learning is during the full moon, which is when waterbenders can bend their hardest. Again, this kind of semi ties into the world building because when the moon is at its fullest, when it is as close to the earth as it will get, it pulls on the tides more. And you can see this, <laughs> minor side note, you can see the earth bulge uh, at its equators and then go back. And this happens as the earth rotates on its axis and gets closer to the moon or further away from the moon. You can see the bulge physically, like in real life. And so they toyed with this, the writers did, as the full moon approaches and you can see it, waterbenders are at their most powerful and this woman was able to bend the blood in these rats and she honed this new form of bending and basically unlock a new skill in her skill tree and uh, she was able to escape. She basically blood bended the next time around. She was fully confident and bended the guards into unlocking her cell and then she just left. Uh, one would assume she killed all of them, but it's only alluded to and never really shown. Now, the same thing happens for firebenders, which is pretty cool. Not with the moon, but what would be the opposite of the moon? That would be the sun. And the sun is when firebenders are at their strongest, when it's during the daytime, because they, <laughs> as uh, Zuko says, he rises with the sun. And so when the sun comes up, he is able to fight stronger and harder with more power than he is at night. When Sozin's Comet, which is a comet that comes around every X amount of years, I uh, won't get into that, but that ties into the story, that enhances the firebender's powers. And so this gives them extra firebending to work with. In the, the movie, they say that, and of course, um, if you've only ever seen the movie, I'm sorry, for you, but a lot of the things that they said in there were just wrong. In the movie, they said that only a master firebender could create fire out of nothing, and that's just not true. So in the movie, you see them carrying around these like jars of fire or uh, these jars of oil that they'll set on fire, and then they can bend that fire, and that's all that they have to work with. That's not what happens in the TV show. In the TV show, firebenders bend fire. They create fire, and it comes from the breath. So they breathe in, and then breathe out, pushing out this fire. And it's a really cool concept, and I love it. And so you have the sun, uh, then there's earth everywhere, so earthbenders don't need to really worry about it. But in this world, metal crafting is created because you have swords and shields and armor and tons of stuff, right? Unfortunately, what has been a long-standing rumor is that even the greatest, greatest earthbenders around couldn't bend metal because the fragments inside it of the quote earth are too small and too far in between to be able to be bent. And so many earthbenders believe that steel bending isn't a thing. You can't bend metal. And uh, well, I guess it would be metal bending, not steel, but we'll get into that later. But we later learned that a completely incredible character figures out a way where she can use her abilities to see the different particles of earth within the steel in the metal and then she is able to bend those and thus creates metal bending which becomes this huge thing in the legend of Korra. A lot of the police and enforcement of the different governments end up starting to use metal bending to capture prisoners and, and thieves and, and whatnot. It's really cool. I've done a lot of this talking just kind of giving you some backstory and then now we're finally coming to air which 
is what our main character is, our main protagonist. This is Aang, and he is the boy that was trapped inside an iceberg that he created where he lived inside, like at the bottom of the ocean for a hundred years while the entire war was happening. And thanks to some wicked waterbending by Katara, the iceberg that he was in breaks open and, well, breaks off of uh, a larger iceberg and then they use some tools to break it open. Now, Aang is already a master airbender, which I think a lot of people kind of gloss over. These are what the tattoos he has symbolize. Airbenders aren't born with the blue arrows. You get those when you become a fully realized master airbender. So a lot of people think that he's just like this innocent kid that can't do a lot. And he chooses to use his airbending as like this fun pastime kind of a thing. But what people don't realize is that he is already a master which usually takes decades to do, which he did as a child. And so we're already following somebody who is well beyond their years. Now, technically, he's like 112 years old. So is he beyond his years anymore? Um, but you have these flashbacks of when he is playing with the other kids and you see him think in more advanced techniques and be able to come up with new ideas and stuff, whereas the other kids are just kind of like, uh, I guess I can fly, kind of? But they don't understand that air is everywhere around them. If they learn to use it in some fun, interesting ways, you can do some really cool stuff. All of this is uh, an incredible world, and it tells the story so well. We get all the different sides. What's super interesting is the way that the story intertwines and weaves throughout all the different characters. We see Sokka, who is the third member of the group until they eventually get more, who begins his journey as this masculine, sexist kind of a figure who believes that, you know, men are uh, the hunters and women and uh, other females and girls are just, you know, they do the sewing and they can go gather berries and make dinner and stuff, but they can't be fighters. And that is quickly addressed within the season. And you see him progress as a character, even though he can't bend, you can still see that every character gets their growth, gets their moments to shine. And he even eventually gets his own own master and learns how to become a swordsman. What's more is that just because our main characters, like the main three, Katara, Sokka, and Aang, these are the protagonists that we follow, it doesn't mean that the antagonists or the, the Fire Nation who are supposed to be the bad guys here don't get their moments to shine. Zuko has one of the best character arcs in all of media. Even someone say, you know, like Voldemort when we see him in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and throughout all of these, he doesn't get the amount of attention that Zuko does when filling in his backstory and his character growth and how he becomes who he is and then who he will become down the road. We don't get all of that backstory. We don't get to see the ones that cared about him and legitimately loved him and what they did to make sure that he was safe and all right. We even get their backstory. Zuko's uncle, his like right wing man, is one of the most pure, kind hearted, uplifting people you'll ever see. He is always on Zuko's side, making sure that he's making the right choices, or at least trying to guide him down the right path, and legitimately loves him and knows that it's his destiny to help and break the cycle of violence and hatred that his father has created. What's more is Uncle Iroh 
is the brother of the Fire Lord, the guy that is in charge of the entire Fire Nation. That's his brother. And so at one point, Zuko says, well, why don't you just go back there and fight the Fire Lord and then just overthrow him? And Iroh understands exactly why he can't do that, because it would just be more family fighting. It would it would be seen by history as one brother wanting to take the throne from his. And that is something we've seen time and time again in our own history. You see that countless times. And here he understands that it has to be the prince. It has to be the banished prince that comes back, overthrows the Fire Lord, and reasserts his right to rule. It, it It's all done so well. And what's more is Uncle Iroh is very in tune with the spirit world. He's been there. He has also met a dragon. Um, and they call him Dragon of the West, but not for the reason that he is believed to be. There's a moment in the series where Aang is flying on a spirit dragon. He's in the spirit world flying to go speak with one of his past lives to try and figure out what, what all of this is about and what he needs to be doing. And he flies over Uncle Iroh and Iroh is the only one that notices. You can't bend in the spirit world. So he's flying on this dragon both of them are basically invisible and making no sound. And Iroh sees them and you can see his head turn around as he watches the Avatar go exactly where he knows he's going to go. It's little little things like that that tie this entire world together. It's so much care and dedication to the overall story. Every single story, every single episode in this series has a reason for being there. There are very, very few episodes that I can say are, quote, filler. And even then, I'm not even sure that I believe it because there are certain things in those episodes that are crucial or even focus on things that are coming later down the road. And I think this is one of the most solid recommendations I can make, if only because you have two reasons why this is a no-brainer. One, it's free on Netflix. Oh, well, I mean, of course you have to pay for Netflix, but you get it on Netflix so you can watch all the seasons over and over again. And what's more is that Netflix just put them in HD. So you're getting them in high def on Netflix. Now, that is one reason I think I can group it all into one. But two, later this year, Netflix is releasing a live action version of Avatar The Last Airbender. They know full well how the movie was received, and it is one of the most hated movies of all time, right up there next to Dragon Ball Evolution. It's it's very bad. So Netflix already knows what they have, but what's more is that they brought the writers and the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender to come on and write and make sure that all of this is done correctly, that the actors and actresses that they chose are doing the the right thing that they're supposed to be doing, that the universe is built correctly. And I'm sure that if this does get delayed, it will be because of the various things that are happening in the, the longest year on record, 2020. But rest assured, when this does come out, whether it's good or bad, Netflix has done right by the Avatar community by putting it on Netflix putting it in HD, bringing in the writers for the new show, and then making sure that everything is the way that it should be. And I think with all of those factors combined, I don't see how, <laughs> famous last words, right? I don't see how the live action can be bad. If they got the right actors, the right actresses, they got the sound design right, they got the set design right, uh, the writers and the creators are not going to say, ah, nah, we don't really care about that. We'll write the plot and the episodes. 
But as far as getting a say in like how the characters look and dress and all of that, nah, we don't want any. I don't see how that's a thing. So that's going to do it for this week. I think this is a very no-brainer recommendation, and I wanted to hit it on an episode number that I felt right. I think 25 is a really good, solid number. I think when you're like turning the volume up on your radio or, or the music in the car, you don't ever stop on like an odd number unless it's like a 25 or like 15. You don't ever... There's like a bunch of, but I think 25 is like a really good solid round number where I can be happy that Avatar goes here. I think it's easy to remember. When did Persuade You go over Avatar The Last Ender Bear? Oh, easy, 25. I could have waited until 30, but uh, again, I want to make sure that I'm cranking out things that you guys are excited to listen to, things that you are going to enjoy, and things that you can nerd out with me, either as you watch them or after you watch them or trying to convince your friends or family to watch them. This is a very easy show to enjoy, and I think that's going to do it. So... If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to shout out on social media or share, like with friends. Uh, All the things will be in the show notes below. If I missed anything, feel free to um, let me know. And then uh, I'll see you guys next week. Okay, bye.